Hello, friends and colleagues. It's Nikki from Full Voice Music. Today's podcast, episode 73, it's all about the curse of knowledge. What is the curse of knowledge? Well, it's actually a tricky little cognitive bias that trips up even the most experienced teachers. If you would like to learn more about it and ways that you can fix the curse, you're in the right place here on the Full Voice Podcast. Welcome to the Full Voice Podcast, teaching strategies and resources for voice teachers working with young singers. Now here's your host, Nikki Loney. Welcome, welcome, friends and colleagues. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Full Voice Podcast. It is so nice that you have found time in your busy schedule. And uh, I just want to um, I just want to thank my previous guests, the last two uh, podcasts. So much fun, Dr. Tracy Ford, uh, talking all about teaching new languages. And then my good friend Dana Lentini talking about how to dive into the text, the lyrics of a song. So many great teacher takeaways. I took away so many great ideas. I had some new exercises and new focuses in my teaching studio. So a very special thank you to those wonderful ladies. I am so lucky. I'm so blessed. I I get to talk to such amazing teachers from around the world. And I take all of these juicy teaching tips back to my students. And I just have such a great time. And I see such results. I'm so I'm so lucky. And uh, since starting the podcast several years ago, this has just been so much fun. So I hope you're enjoying the podcast as much as I am. Now today's topic. Ooh, it's a tricky one. I find the curse of knowledge to be quite fascinating. It is simple as it is profound. And before I get started, I really have to shout out to Kara Transtrom, who shared this blog article uh, that I first learned about this curse. And it was such an eye opener. It really made me think it was such a great check in for me as a teacher and as a business owner, somebody that has to communicate not just with my students, but with the, their parents, with families. And uh, this, uh, this podcast, this episode is really about better communication. Oh, so, so many great takeaways and so, so good to check in with basic skills. Communication, so hard. Now, before I get started, though, let's, let's just talk about, so if you're not familiar with the curse of knowledge, I did not make that up, by the way. Uh, the curse of knowledge is something that has been studied for quite some time. Um, it's a cognitive bias. And really simply put, it is happens when a very experienced individual is trying to communicate or explain something to a beginner or a non-experienced individual, and they forget, they unknowingly assume that uh, the other person has the background to understand. And of course, this is huge in the classroom. 
in a classroom uh, setting, uh, teachers often have trouble teaching beginners because they can't relate to the beginner experience. And uh, that is huge. And I think one of the reasons why uh, when uh, Karis shared this uh, article with me, it, it really struck a note because, no pun intended there, uh, because working with beginners has enough challenges, but really explaining things well for that beginner student of any age, it doesn't have to be just a child, even a beginner adult, um, it, there's so many ways that we can just not connect with them if we don't recognize that we have a lifetime of experience that they do not. Now, the curse of knowledge is not just limited to education or teaching. Uh, in fact, businesses struggle with this communication challenge. Businesses work hard to fix this communication uh, breakdown. And um, it, it's quite often in organizations where longstanding CEOs or company officers don't do a good job of explaining things to new hires or new employees. This happens to you all the time. It happens to everyone. I remember the first time I went into a Starbucks coffee shop. This is back when they first opened up. I did not know there was a special way of ordering my coffee. I did not know what that a tall was a certain size and a grande was a different size. And I remember uh, the um, barista being very rude to me and making me feel very stupid. And it was a horrible experience. In fact, it was such a horrible experience that I didn't step foot in a Starbucks for a couple of years after that. I was really annoyed and I felt so uncomfortable and I didn't know that there was special coffee terms. So we've all experienced this. We've all been on the giving end and the receiving end of the curse of knowledge. But I want to offer some strategies and I want to offer some inspiration. Um, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, uh, the curse of knowledge is really about communication skills. And let's just start off by proclaiming that communication is hard. It is time consuming. It is frustrating. And how many challenges? So here's my question. I always like to start the podcast with a question so that my listeners can reflect. Um, how many challenges do you see in your teaching business that are a result of poor communication. Now be honest. And I'm not picking on anyone here because I know and you know that communication is a two-way street. But sometimes we have to work very hard to get our message or even a simple instruction to stick. Uh, recital dates, anyone? Yeah, recital details. Do you know, I booked my recital a year in advance. I told my students at the end of the year what the dates were for the following year. When they came back in September, I gave them those dates yet again. They're on my website. I sent out emails. And sure enough, a week before my recital, I had parents saying that, well, I didn't, I didn't know that it was the recital this weekend. <laughs> God bless them. Anyhow, 
sometimes in business, we have to work harder than the other party to open up the lines to healthy and productive communication. I know it's frustrating. I know, I know, I know. And verbal communication, written communication, um, you've heard me speak on this podcast many times, email and texting are lousy forms of communication, mostly because people, A, don't read, B, when they do, they read negative tone in it, And we're so inundated with so many emails and messages that it's so easy for the messages to get lost. And there, sometimes I rush with my emails, and I'm so bad for this. One time, instead of typing recital, I typed rectal. Anyhow, that was a really embarrassing email that I sent out. Communication is very difficult. Anyhow, don't make that mistake. Um, But when we... When we are engaged in a relationship, whether it is with someone we love uh, or with the people that we do business with, we have to work very hard and we have to be the ones that work the hardest. So um, just keep that in mind the next time someone asks you about your makeup policy. Just keep that in mind. Now, um, communication, I think, is something that we all can work on and we can all be better at. And I've got quite a few links on the this episode's podcast page. Uh, one of them is about um, effective communication, uh, being better at um communicating not just with with your your people that you do business with but with the people that you love and there's some really good tips uh i don't want to get too far off the topic of the podcast today but um sometimes uh sometimes there's miscues that we give sometimes our our body language is uh is really um negative um sometimes we're not good listeners Oh my goodness, sometimes we we just jump to conclusions and then we react. Um, sometimes our communication is marred by the fact that we're just really stressed out and tired. That's a big thing too. Anyhow, so there's some really great links about improving your communication. It's something that we all can work on. It's something that we can all improve. But uh, let's get back to um, this curse of knowledge. Now, um, just a little bit of background about it. I think this is kind of neat. And uh, so for those of you who aren't familiar with um, the famous uh, experiment that was done. So Elizabeth Newton was a PhD candidate back in the 1990s. And she did this experiment where she had um, a group of people, she split them in half, half of the group were tappers, they were to tap a simple melody or sorry, a simple rhythm on a table. So they would do something like this. Did you know what song that was? Did you know what it was? You have to know what it was. It's like a very simple song that everyone would know. So what she did is she asked the tappers, how easy do you think this is for the listener to guess what song you've tapped? Now the tappers, knowing the song that they were tapping, 
guessed that, you know, probably 50% of the time uh, a listener would get the song that I just tapped, about 50%. And the truth of the matter is that um, the the listeners, they only got about 2.5% correct. Very few people were able to guess the song that was being tapped. And not only that, but they got frustrated. They thought it was pretty ridiculous. Now let's go back to the the sound, the song I tapped. Do you know what it was? It was Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Did you get it? It was so easy. I heard the melody in my head while I was tapping it. <laughs> Can't you read my mind? Anyhow, so... Um, this this experiment shows us that we have more information, so we make the assumption that it should be easy for the people that we are communicating with. And this obviously, as uh, simple as that experiment was, shows us that there's that cognitive bias. We think it's easy because we know. And um, the other uh, the other blog article, that I've shared on our episode page is uh, it's called the Cur- the teacher curse no one wants to talk about by Christopher Reddy and this is a blog on the edu- Edutopia website a really great website by the way and this is the article that Kara had shared with uh, a group of us and that really sparked some deep thinking on my part um, so Chris Christopher Reddy is a classroom teacher and a blogger and he brings to light the implications for teachers when it comes to the curse of knowledge. And there's two main points that he brings to light, which is one, we do not remember, we do not remember what it is like not to know what we are trying to teach. Uh, Think about note names. Or think about a simple vocal exercise that we've sung probably thousands and thousands of times. To us, it's like breathing air. We don't even think about it. We can do it on autopilot. Uh, But our students, this is new. And uh, I'm always reminded, and I always try to check in, especially if I'm teaching music theory or we're just learning notes on the staff. Notes on the staff is so hard for a new student. It's a strange, weird, alien language. It's not like any other language they've learned. So it makes sense that they, they might take some time to get it. Now, the other point that he brings up, and I think this is a big one, is that we cannot relive the difficult and lengthy process that learning our content originally took. We are not good at remembering how long we've been at things and how how long things took. And um, I think that uh, I think that's a really good check-in for all of us. So what makes this curse of knowledge really profound is that the longer you've been teaching, the more likely you are going to struggle with the curse. That's not fair. When we've been teaching for a long time, we're supposed to be better at teaching. We're supposed to have more skills. And yet the curse of knowledge can really trip up more experienced teachers. Now, I want to caution people. uh, If you're working with beginners, whether adults or children, you, if you're just new to teaching, maybe you've only been teaching a few years, you still have a lifetime of experience over your students. 
So you're not exempt. <laughs> you can still have a hard time relating to your students and, and conveying the lesson that you want to uh, give them. So, um, and I think too, the other thing with teaching uh, that the curse does is it, um, we can get frustrated as teachers. We can get really frustrated with our students and, and everyone knows that that's the last place we want to be in a teaching studio. We, we always want to be giving our students a safe space. We want them to feel comfortable to ask a question or they feel comfortable enough to make a mistake. And if we, the teacher, are, are really frustrated or very short-tempered with our students because we don't understand why they're not getting what we're teaching, well, that can make everybody unhappy and everybody uncomfortable and really create an unhappy uh, environment in our teaching studios. And we, nobody wants to see that happen. Now, the other reason why I wanted to talk a little bit about the curse of knowledge is that I think that the curse of knowledge has more implications for the voice teacher. And um, so not only do we have a lifetime of experience compared to our uh, beginners of any age, but we have an extremely personal relationship with our voices. We have experienced our incredible instruments in such a one-of-a-kind manner, a relationship that is like no other, and we have all struggled and fought and cried with our voices. It's very hard not to personalize our experience and then put that onto our students. We have to be really, really careful about that. The other side of that is we don't really 100% know how our students are relating to their voices either. Everyone relates to their mysterious instrument in such a unique way. All we can do is our best. We can watch, we can listen mindfully, we can share experiences that we have had, and hopefully by sharing our experiences, we can help our students in their singing journey, but we really truly don't know. And I think as teachers, when we start making big assumptions, we get into trouble and we, are, we aren't the effective teacher that we could be. Now, I want to take everybody on a little side journey here because this brought up something when I was when I was doing the research and I was writing up my notes for the podcast. This made me think of something that I see quite a bit. Um, how we relate to our instrument is very interesting and piano teachers and instrumental teachers, I'm kind of directing this at you a little bit. Um, this comes up a lot in the forums. I get oodles of emails and questions about this. And just for the record, I love questions and emails. I do get to them. It might take me a few days, but I do respond to emails. Um, but we get a lot of questions about um, the movable dough system, solfege, um, hand signs. You know, why do we use those um, 
uh, systems. And I've, I've had teachers say, I don't understand why we would use this. Uh, why do you use the hand signs? This is too difficult. It's too time consuming. And uh, I, I have this answer for you. So first of all, there are many musical systems. There is no one best way there are many ways and we have to do what's best for our students, not what we might be the most comfortable with. So when we're working with our music students, we need to give them a musical system to help them with the language of music, to help them with pitch, to help them with theory, to help them visualize and internalize the sounds that they are making. And so when people get a little concerned about these systems, I always like to, I always like to think of, um, you know, how I relate. So when I, when I, sometimes when I think I've been playing the piano for a long time. So sometimes when I think of intervals, I am thinking about the piano keyboard. More specifically, I'm thinking about how far my thumb is from my pinky because I'm thinking as my hand is reaching for that fifth or that octave. A lot of that is a visual cue that is kind of in my hand. And that's because I am familiar with the piano. Um, our kids and beginners who are not instrumentalists are not relating their sounds, their singing, anything to an instrument. And for instrumentalists, we have to recognize this and we, we have to meet them where they're at. And another great example of this is my husband. He is a guitar player first. He plays oodles of instruments. He's super talented and handsome and also the, the editor and producer of the podcast. Anyhow, um, so when Sean is thinking about musical concepts, pitch, intervals, theory, um, and we've had this conversation uh, quite a few times, he is visualizing the fretboard of the guitar. Now, the fretboard of the guitar does makes absolutely no sense to me. He's explained it to me. There's more than one middle C. That's just crazy. But that is not a point of reference that I would ever use in music, in my singing. So when we are working with kids, we or any beginner um, or someone that is not an instrumentalist like we are, we have to give them a system. That's why I highly recommend um, movable dough, any kind of system that allows the singer to internalize and understand the concepts in a more visual way. That's why I highly recommend that. And I also want to point out that even if you do have kids that are taking instrumental music, they still may not be using that instrument as their reference point. They have not had enough experience on that with even a couple of years of lessons to take all of the information from that instrument. So again, there's there's a really great example about relating to the instrument and understanding when our students don't relate to the voice the same way that we do. So important. So sorry that I got off the rails there. I'm coming back, <laughs> coming back to the curse of knowledge. So the curse of knowledge, cognitive bias, we're not communicating well. We are forgetting that the people that we are working with are at the beginning stages and we need to explain things in a way that works for them. Now, 
If you're overwhelmed, don't be. (laughs) There are ways to overcome the curse, to break the curse. So I'm going to go through like a little list here. I've got a bunch of examples as well. So first of all, uh, the first uh, suggestion to lift the curse is to simplify our explanations, use physical demonstrations, and avoid that teacher ease language. We use some terminology and we would say things like, oh my goodness, support, oh, placement. Those are those are not really helpful words. And we now understand more, far more about the vocal instrument. And again, shout out to uh, Shannon Coates. Shannon Coates did a beautiful Facebook Live about this. I'm going to put a link to Shannon's Facebook Live about using such language, about understanding um, and having better terminology, better language around the instructions that we are giving. The language we use is so important. The other, the other way that we can lift the curse, and I think this is just good teaching and good teaching practice, is mindfully watching our students read their body language. Nonverbal communication if your students are, if their eyes are glazing and they're looking away or they're starting to fidget or they're just not listening um, or you've given them instructions and they are now a little stressed out, ooh, that's usually an indicator that they are not understanding of a certain concept. So make sure you're watching your students. I have a, one of my favorite students. I'm... They're all my favorite, really. Um, One of my older teens, I can tell she leaves the room, like not physically, but mentally. She is not in the room sometimes because I have a tendency to go on and on and on. And I do talk too much and I am trying to fix that. But I can tell when she's no longer listening and I have to make her do the exercise and let her explore. Um, That is a really great way is sometimes just letting our students try things without a lot of explanation and just watching them, maybe asking a few questions and just letting them experience it. That's something that we probably could do far more of. At least I feel that way about me. Now, the other thing here that um, I think uh, the Curse of Knowledge also really embraces is empathy. So if we're watching our students and we're recognizing if they are tired or stressed out, so any child that is in a state of stress, um, it, you, you there, nothing is sinking in. Especially if you have a kid that has a lot of anxiety, they might be in a state of fight or flight. They are not going to retain much. So sometimes... We need to put more effort into getting them to relax, getting them to feel more comfortable. I certainly know that when I have uh, my beginner adults, I spend a, like a lot of time trying to make sure they feel comfortable and supported in the teaching studio. 
um, a lot of adults, it has taken them months, maybe even years to build up the confidence to even step foot, even to make the phone call or send the email asking about your vocal lessons, let alone step foot into your teaching studio. So again, anybody that's stressed out, agitated, upset, is not going to be a good student. They can't absorb any of that. So that's where we have to watch and we have to work at um, making them feel comfortable. Um, the, other, the other ways that we lift the curse, analogies. Fun analogies. Really visual, maybe sometimes silly analogies or metaphors to spark the student's imagination um, maybe make them laugh. Um, you can also try to find analogies that work with their current experiences. So I have a ton of students in my teaching studio. They're all karate students. Um, there is a wonderful family martial arts studio at the end of my street. I know tons of families because my husband and I used to go there and my son used to go there. And so I I know some of the language and some of the terminology that they use in the dojo. So sometimes I will say, you know, check your posture there. Think natural stance. They know what that means. And they immediately correct it. And um, so understanding a little bit about our students where we can use metaphors, analogies with experiences and skills that they may already have can be so, so helpful. Um, one of my little students loves her cats. So we were making all sorts of kitty cat sounds the other day. We had a blast. Uh, the other one, um, the other tip for lifting the curse, visuals. Oh my goodness, visuals. So the vocal instrument is hidden from us and uh, a lot of, um, a lot of exercises uh, are done by rote. And I know that that's how a lot of my vocal lessons were when I was young and I was learning. But there's so many ways, so many ways that we can make the singing lesson far more visual and kinesthetic. That's important too. So um, vocalization tools. Oh my goodness, we have Hoberman Spears. I actually have just placed an order for, I did not know there were mini Hoberman spears. I had a big one, it got broken, and I I've, I didn't replace it, but now I've learned that there was mini ones. I'm so excited. Um, Hoberman spears, balls, um, um, a tonic sofa wall. I One of the busiest stations in my teaching studio is my tonic sofa wall. I use that as a point of reference. I will show my students on the tonic sofa wall before we sing an exercise, what the exercise looks like using the visuals on the wall. And that is so helpful. So instead of just putting them beside the piano, playing and singing with them, I have given them a visual idea of what we're about to sing. And that is really helpful. Now, the other challenge and the other way that we can help to avoid the curse of knowledge is our pacing. And this is so, oh, this is so challenging. And, and I understand we are, we are a society that rushes and 
we get stuck in this mindset of maybe September to June if you're following a school year. Um, and I I forget where I read this and I really need to find it. But um, a really good tip, and I love this, is think circular instead of linear when it comes to your lesson pacing. So instead of introducing concepts and moving into the next concept, into the next concept, and the next concept, you introduce a concept, you play around with it a little bit, you come back, you review it a little bit, maybe you change it up a little bit or try a different game, and then you can add some more skills. But then you come back and you try to put them together and see how they work together. See how that's circular, you always kind of come back and overlap over the concepts. Um, that, I think, is far more effective. And sometimes as teachers, again, we put these these ideas in our heads that if we're not moving quickly, we're not doing a good job. Please don't do that. Don't do that to yourself. Don't do that to your students. It's not fair. It's not fair. We all learn at different different um, rates. We, we all have different ways of processing information. And now more than ever, uh, we get to really provide an amazing service in the private teaching studio because we don't have to run the September to June teaching studio. We don't have to get through a certain amount of exercises. We don't have to do an examination at all, or we certainly don't have to do one every term. And uh, I really, I really encourage that. And for those of you who are using the full voice workbooks, do not try to complete one full voice lesson every time you see a student. That's not good lesson pacing. And if you look at how we laid out the workbooks, we broke each lesson into smaller sections so that maybe you only get one or two done and then you move on to your repertoire, and then you can come back the next week, review what you just did the, the, the previous uh, week, and then introduce the other concepts. It is not necessary to do a song um, every week. It is not necessary to learn a new song every month. We don't have to do to pace our lessons like this. It's so important. Um, one of the things way back, way, way back, we're talking like almost 20 years ago, when I was teaching beginner piano, I used to do this every once in a while, I used to do a backwards day. So my students, my kiddos would be in their Faber and Faber book. And we would actually take the last song that they learned, and then we would work towards the beginning of the book. That was eye opening. It didn't take long, like maybe a song before you flipped the page back. The student didn't remember where their hands went on the piano. They didn't remember how the song went. They didn't know the rhythms anymore. That was a huge eye-opener. So there's a little tip. If you're teaching piano lessons, um, go back. Do a backwards day. Now, the same thing with our repertoire. I love taking a lesson and and, and going over a song that they sang, maybe even a year ago, bringing back a song that they maybe performed at last year's recital. 
that shows so much because, of course, my student has progressed and they're, they're a stronger singer, they're a better singer, they're a more confident singer. And then bringing back a song that's really familiar, well, all of a sudden, all of these opportunities are there. Lots of teaching opportunities. So think of circular pacing instead of linear. Instead of rushing through a lesson, space it out pacing, review, and a lot of basic concepts can be reviewed with games. And that's the next point that I wanted to bring up. Play-based learning for the win. When we can invoke fun and positive feelings in a lesson, are the lessons are what they call sticky. They will remember the concepts because they'll remember having a laugh. Isn't that fun? I love that. I love when I make my students laugh. I love it when they make me laugh too. And now for the My Music Staff Minute. Hey everyone, Katrina here, and today we're chatting about one of the most precious commodities of all, your time. Psychology Today defines time management as the ability to plan and control how someone spends the hours in a day to effectively accomplish their goals. Notice the words plan and control. How many times have you said, I don't have any time? While no one can accomplish everything in one day, with a little automation, you'd be surprised how much of your time can be freed up to do more of what you love, teach. Think about your administrative duties. Are there any tasks you can automate? For example, do you send out invoices or handle cash and checks regularly? Instead of doing this manually every billing cycle, consider a software or service that automates these tasks for you. Like my music staff, with its auto invoicing and auto pay features. Put your finances on autopilot. Don't be afraid to delegate. Giving up control to someone else can be challenging, especially as a business owner, but start small. Is your studio on social media? Consider having an assistant or another teacher create posts for you. Or check out services like Hootsuite and schedule all of your social posts. People often underestimate the value of time. Because it's not a physical thing that we can hold in our hands, it becomes somewhat of an abstract concept. This isn't the case though. Time is measurable and more importantly, it's valuable. If you could eliminate one hour of administrative tasks each week with automation and use that saved time to teach instead, what would that do for your yearly income? Start your 30-day free trial of My Music Staff today at www.mymusicstaff.com. Stay tuned for next week's tips and tricks on the My Music Staff Minute, exclusively on the Full Voice Podcast. Now, one of the things that I like to do in my teaching studio, which I think is very helpful, is a little bit of role reversal where I allow the student to boss me around. I will turn the table and I will ask them to be the teacher and to show me how they would do something. And I like to open up a conversation where I get them to explain something back to me. That is very eye opening. (laughs) I have to tell you, it's also a lot of fun. I use that technique with a lot of my shy students as well. When you do the role reversal, they're no longer on the hot seat. 
Um, and so they kind of relax a little bit because they aren't under pressure to perform. You are. And that goes a long way. But while I'm doing the role reversal, I'm also paying attention to how well they actually understand the concept that they are trying to explain to me. And it can certainly show me if I need to do some review or if we need to clear up a few details, which is usually the case. And that's okay. So there we go. The curse of knowledge, whether you like it or not, it affects each and every one of us. You have experienced both receiving it and dealing it out, but now you are aware and now you have some strategies so that you are communicating clearly, whether it is in your instruction of the vocal instrument uh, or whether it is in how you communicate to the people that you do business with. Heck, it might even be the people that you love. So I hope that you have found this interesting and helpful. I certainly uh, really appreciated these articles when they were shared with me. They made me think. They made me check in with what I was doing in my studio. So now before I go, I want to tell you about next week's episode. My dear friend, Michelle Marquardt DeVoe is coming back. I've asked her back specifically to talk about the different types of lesson packages and the different ways we can structure our studios so that we are uh, running the business that we love. And I really, really admire Michelle. She is out trying to help teachers really be fantastic business people. And that's why I love having her back on the studio. So we're talking all about the different policies from tuition-based policy to hourly policies and different types of packages that you can offer. And uh, I think uh, it's a really great conversation. And again, uh, that's next Friday on the show. Uh, I want to shout out as always, to the wonderful people at My Music Staff for the Music Staff Minute. If you have not tried My Music Staff, you can do it for free for 30 days. I highly recommend it. And uh, it has certainly been a game changer in my teaching studio. So thanks to um, Dasha and Dan and all the wonderful people there. <sighs> if you are enjoying this podcast, please, 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 please subscribe in iTunes or Google Play. Tell your friends, share the show with your friends on social media, uh, leave a rating or a review and a review on iTunes. Those help us so much. I can't thank, uh, thank those of you who have already done that enough. <sighs> well, We've come to the end of another episode. I want to thank you for your time. As always, heartfelt, inspired teaching and happy singing. Thank you for listening to the Full Voice Podcast. For more information and teacher resources, please visit our website at thefullvoice.com. Made by Canoe Music. Canoe Music.ca